Emerging technologies continually change medical practice, whether improving how we take medications. Drug goes where blood goes. It goes everywhere. The conventional way of giving medication is not very efficacious. Or creating new innovations to increase treatment options. It will be possible to print your own cells in the not-too-distant future, and there will be many uses for this technology. Based on 3D printing technology, we can create tissue of a custom size and shape made from a patient's own unique cells. And later... We'll explore the art of science. Art and science are fueled by inspiration. It's the deep human drive to understand ourselves and the world around us. Discover emerging technologies and the art of science inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. Our 100th episode. I'm your host, Brian Belmer. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Wisconsin, Freighter Hospital, Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. We've all taken medications by swallowing a pill, capsule, or in liquid form. But what if it was possible to send medication directly to the source of an illness or disease? Like a courier service bringing a microscopic targeted delivery system. Turns out, it is possible through the emergence of nanoparticle technology. Dr. Abey Chauhan is an associate professor, Department of Biopharmaceutical Science, in the Medical College of Wisconsin School of Pharmacy. In order to understand how nanoparticle technology works, Dr. Chauhan first explains how conventional drugs like capsules, pills, and liquids are distributed in our body to achieve their intended result. The whole idea is that we are trying to make sure that they reach the blood what we call systemic circulation. And behind this, that wherever blood goes, the drug will also go. But the problem is, although our blood helps carry drugs throughout our body... But the thing is that we don't need drugs throughout the body. We need a drug where there's a disease or where there's a problem, right? He uses this analogy. For example, you have some problem with the electricity. It doesn't mean that uh, we energy guy will go and fix everybody's home, right? They have to fix where the problem is. So that's the problem with the current way of delivering drugs. It goes all over the place. And you need very high dose of drugs because it has to go everywhere. And the idea is that eventually it will go where it's supposed to go. So there's a lot of loss in transmission also in that sense. So if it seems like the efficacy of conventional drug delivery isn't too great, that's because it isn't. With conventional therapy, the drug goes where blood goes. It goes everywhere we end up giving very high amount of a drug in milligrams. 
in human trials or when you work with animals, we basically measure the amount of a drug in the blood in various tissues to see how much drug is going. So that way we can figure out that the conventional way of giving medication is not very efficacious. But to be clear, he says the problem is with delivery, because once drugs do reach their intended target... This is no problem. The drug is doing its job. So the drug is effective of its own. But the issue is drug at the right place. So transportation is a problem, right? It's not that drug is not effective. Drug is effective. That's how the drug comes in market, because properly tested. So we know that once it reaches the target area, it will work. problem is to reach there, it has to go through many barriers. But I'm talking about the carrier part is not very effective inside the body. Isn't there a better way? In fact, there is. And Dr. Chauhan is researching nanoparticle technology to target the delivery of medication directly to the source needing treatment. Just how small are the nanoparticles he's working with? Nanoparticle is the size of a particle. So basically, if you take a human here, that's around 50 to 100 micrometers. Nano is a thousand times less than one micrometer. They are very small particles. Small? What an understatement. We're talking 50 to 100,000 times smaller than the thickness of a single human hair. In addition to being microscopic, Dr. Chauhan tells us why nanotechnology is so important. Why nano is important? Because all the human building blocks came from nano-sized dimensions, like DNA, RNA, proteins. These all are basically made of nano-sized dimension. So major building blocks of life are from nano-sized dimension. Hence, if we send something with the same dimension to talk to them, their communication would be better compared to the other way of doing. Still, it begs the question. How do you work with nanoparticles? We have to use different analytical techniques to measure them, see them, and characterize them. There are microscopes, transmission electron microscope, atomic force microscope. We can use to see these small size materials. How is it even possible to make medications into microscopic nanoparticles? Dr. Chauhan says... There are two ways to make it. One is that you take a larger particle size, like a micron or millimeter particle size powder, and start breaking it. So if I ask you to take a hammer and break a particle, you end up making small particles, right? Because of the force of hammer. Similarly, if we take a machine, we can break down to smaller particle size. So we can take a millimeter size particle or micron size You can use force to break them to the nanoage. The other way of creating nanoparticles? Other way of doing is that go to lower level, like angstrom. So angstrom is one level less than nanometer. Like all the atoms are in angstrom region. So you can take those atoms and stitch them together chemically and come to the nano. So there are two ways you can create some kind of nanomaterial. In his research, nano-sized particles are bonded to make nanomaterials for targeted drug treatments. We don't use the word nanoparticles for everything. So we use the word nanomaterial. So there are two kinds of nanomaterials. One are solid nanoparticles, like carbon nanoparticles. Then there are soft nanomaterials, like DNA, RNA, proteins, viruses. They are soft nanomaterials. So when you say nanoparticle, is a size of object. How it can make it, it depends upon the chemistry of the material. The key is getting the nanomaterial, in this case a drug treatment, to go exactly where it needs to go. Targeting of a drug is not easy. Like think about us as a drug molecule. And now you want me to go to Milwaukee airport. 
how would I go? If I arrange a carrier for you, and that carrier, I put a GPS, that carrier takes us there and we reach Milwaukee Airport. So what we are trying to do is that we are trying to create a carrier, a carrier which can carry drugs, and not only carry drugs, make sure that it goes to the right address. But how does the nanomaterial get delivered to the right address or the specific tissue or cells while avoiding healthy tissue and cells? That's a very good question. What happens is that in case of any disease state, that area needs something special. So, for example, in case of ovarian cancer, we found that they need a lot of folic acid to grow tumor. So we try to make full of the system. With ovarian cancer, there's a high expression of folic acid in the area of the cancer. So, he uses folic acid to target his nanomaterial drug delivery system directly to the cancer. What we do is that we take a delivery system and outside we put folic acid. As soon as reaches in case of ovarian cancer, if you put folic acid outside as an antenna or GPS, if it reaches that ovarian cancer area, it sees folic acid. But they don't know Along with folic acid, there is a delivery system and a drug which can come inside. And then the drug would release and start affecting the disease or a tumor in the particular area. In addition, a targeted drug delivery system can have other impacts. If most of the drug is going where it is needed, then you don't need high loading of a drug. Second, it's only going where it's required. So it is not creating side effects in other parts of the body. But Dr. Chauhan reiterates that in his research... ...main implication of nanotechnology for drug targeting, targeting drug in the right area and controlled. Nanotechnology can do that for sure. So what does the future hold for nanoparticle drug delivery systems? Dr. Chauhan believes it's drones. We can create very small drones where you can load drugs where you can attach a camera for imaging and they can freely move inside and you can control from outside body. The future of delivery system is something like that. Although before something like that, there must continue to be equal focus on safety as well as efficacy of the process. Everything comes down to, apart from efficacy, safety also. I don't see any reason that we cannot figure out the safe way of using it. Already it is being done, so the simple way of doing it is that test the proper way, and apart from efficacy, if it was safety, it would come to human application. So get ready, because even though we can't see them, nanoparticles will change the way we look at medications. Nanoparticle or nanotechnology is a fascinating new way of delivering medication in a very smart way. It will change the face of medication. It is already coming. There are a few examples where they are in market already and more will come. Next, imagine taking cells from skin, blood, or urine and using them to print three-dimensional living heart tissue. Well, it's reality for a research team right here in our community. Dr. Brandon Teft is an assistant professor of biomedical engineering and director of the Cardiovascular Regenerative Engineering Lab at the Marquette University Medical College of Wisconsin Joint Department of Biomedical Engineering. Dr. Teft and his cohort, Dr. Awi Tomita Mitchell, Professor of Pediatric Cardiothoracic Surgery at MCW, are key members of a research team that have successfully 3D bioprinted living heart tissue. 
Today they share how this biomedical breakthrough can change the future of treating pediatric patients with congenital heart disease. Dr. Teft begins our conversation by explaining that 3D bioprinting is... Based on 3D printing technology, the goal of which is to generate three-dimensional objects. This is typically achieved by extruding a material in a layer-by-layer fashion and then curing the material to then hold everything together in a final finished part. The bio part of 3D bioprinting... Means we're specifically interested in printing biomaterials that can then be seeded with living cells after the materials are printed, or we can directly print living cells that are already mixed into the biomaterials and directly print a living construct. But either way, the end result is this construct of living cells supported within a biomaterial scaffold, and this can subsequently be matured into a functional tissue. How long has 3D bioprinting been around? 3D bioprinting can trace its origins to about the early 2000s. The pioneer of 3D bioprinting is Dr. Thomas Boland at Clemson University. I happened to do an undergraduate research experience with him, and at the time, they were just taking ordinary inkjet printers and modifying them to print these biomaterials and living cells. So it seemed like science fiction, but I became a believer, and the field has really taken off since then. Today, Dr. Teft is part of a collaborative team through the Marquette University Medical College of Wisconsin Joint Department of Biomedical Engineering. We're really fortunate to have a great team. Dr. Aoi Tomita Mitchell is a genetic research scientist at the Medical College of Wisconsin and the Children's Research Institute, and her lab studies the underlying genetic causes of congenital heart disease. Congenital heart disease, or CHD, conditions would include ventricular septal defects, the most common CHD among newborns. They are holes between the lower chambers of the heart. Another is atrial septal defects. These are holes between the upper two chambers of the heart. And then tetralogy of low, another relatively common heart abnormality. And a fourth diagnosed group is known as single ventricle defects, which is cardiac abnormality that results in a patient having only one functional ventricle instead of having two lower chambers. Then Dr. Mike Mitchell is a pediatric cardiothoracic surgeon at Children's Wisconsin. He treats children with congenital heart disease and also conducts research in this area. Then I bring the engineering perspective to the team as a biomedical engineer, and my research interests are in the bioengineering of living cardiovascular tissues, including blood vessels, heart valves, and heart tissue in the case of this project. Dr. Teft says the idea to 3D bioprint living heart tissue began with Dr. Awi Tomita Mitchell, and Dr. Michael Mitchell. They've dedicated their careers to treating children with congenital heart disease, so they had the idea to bioengineer living heart tissue. 3D bioprinting is extremely important. It offers the opportunity for a patient to have their own cells used in a way that would not cause immune reaction, as in organ transplantation, where having an organ generates an immune response that could potentially lead to rejection of an organ. Here, using your own cells, you wouldn't have that kind of hurdle. And they approached me several years ago to bring me onto the team. And at the time, my department already had a 3D bioprinter available, and I had experience with 3D bioprinting, so it made sense to use that as a starting point for this work. What's the occurrence rate of pediatric congenital heart disease 
in the U.S. Congenital heart disease, or CHDs, are among the most common types of birth disorders in the U.S., affecting approximately 1% of all live births. And interestingly, as our treatments have improved, these babies are surviving into adulthood with increasing frequency, which means there's also a growing population of adults who have congenital heart disease, and we're learning more about this relatively new patient population as they come of age. However, aggressive surgical interventions are typically needed early in life, so that's where our group is primarily focused with our work. Yes, well, many congenital heart diseases are diagnosed at birth or even during pregnancy. Many are diagnosed in adulthood. The number of adults surviving CHD is growing rapidly as therapy becomes increasingly effective. And in fact, there are now more adults living with CHD than children. A key advantage of 3D bioprinting is the ability to bioengineer tissue that's patient-specific. We can create tissue of a custom size and shape and also made from a patient's own unique cells that has their own unique genetic makeup. So this is especially important in the context of congenital heart disease because each patient has a unique underlying genetic cause for their disease. We have worked to generate what are called induced pluripotent stem cells, or iPSCs, from a variety of sources cells from skin, from blood, and more recently cells collected from urine to reprogram fully differentiated adult cells into iPSCs. The cells are the key to the whole thing. They have this incredibly valuable resource at Children's Wisconsin called the Congenital Heart Disease Tissue Bank. They've collected biospecimens that have been generously donated. and We're actually able to reprogram the cells in these biospecimens into virtually any cell type in the body, including beating heart cells. We basically add four genes that can convert the cells into pluripotent stem cells. And with another collaborator from the medical college, Dr. John Lau, we optimized a protocol to differentiate these stem cells into beating heart cells. So, 3D bioprinting technology allows this research team to bioengineer patient-specific living heart tissue. And then use that tissue to study their unique disease for each patient, study which treatments might be most effective, and possibly use genetically corrected tissue in a surgical repair procedure down the line. In addition to the patient's own cells, what else is used in the process of 3D bioprinting living heart tissue? The other key ingredient is the biomaterial that is used to form a supporting scaffold for the cells. So the biomaterial must be cell compatible, meaning it can't be toxic to the cells, and it must also be compatible with the printing process itself, which can be quite challenging. It must cure to form a solid construct, and the curing process itself has to be cell compatible, which is quite challenging in a lot of cases. And Dr. Teft says... The biomaterial serves more than just a mechanical role in the 3D bioprinting process. The biomaterial also provides important biological signaling cues to the cells to direct them to behave as heart cells following the printing process. And then the final piece after we've printed this tissue is to mature the tissue using 3D tissue culture techniques to provide the appropriate nutrients, oxygen, growth factors, temperature, pH, and waste removal so the tissue can strengthen and mature over time. What about today's printers? 
while early 3D bioprinting utilized modified desktop inkjet printers. The similarities don't extend very far from there. One commonality is both 3D bioprinting and paper printing rely on a computer to instruct the printer where to extrude the liquid material. I think a more apt analogy is to think about squeezing out toothpaste from its tube in order to build up a desired form. But adding that third dimension really changes things and we're much more focused on the biomaterial itself than we are on the software and hardware. There are many other important considerations specific to 3D bioprinting as well, including the biomaterial must be completely cell compatible, meaning we can't have harsh chemicals, we can't have high temperatures, we can't have high pressures, and also the process must be entirely aseptic to avoid introducing contaminations such as bacteria into the bioengineered tissues. So it's quite different than traditional printing. To date, this research team has been successful in not only 3D bioprinting living heart tissue. We've identified a hydrogel biomaterial and developed a 3D bioprinting protocol that results in good shape fidelity of our printed construct, good mechanical integrity, it holds together. But also sustaining it. And importantly, the cells can survive the process and they remain viable following printing. We've also developed 3D tissue culture conditions that result in spontaneous contraction of the heart tissue within a few days, and we could observe them spontaneously contracting in the culture dish. Many of these tissues demonstrated spontaneous beating for several weeks in culture. It's a great milestone to keep them free of contamination, keep them healthy, keep them thriving for that long. We have been able to 3D print cells that came from a patient with a single ventricle. The cells are long and mature, and if you see the video, it's very convincing and very impressive. That's remarkable. What's hoped for the future of 3D bioprinting living heart tissue? We hope that we can learn far more about congenital heart disease than was previously possible. It's very difficult to collect and directly study a patient's diseased heart tissue. So by bioengineering diseased heart tissue from easy to collect biospecimens, we can understand more about what causes this disease and how we might be able to treat the disease. And what's most important is we can study each individual's unique diseased tissue and individualize treatments. Finally, our long-term goal with this project is really to bioengineer completely functional heart tissue. The goal would be for a surgeon to be able to utilize the patient's own 3D bioprinted cells for surgical repair. Potentially use it to surgically reconstruct a patient's heart with their own cells and their own tissue. How close might we be to seeing 3D bioprinted living heart tissue being used to treat pediatric patients? I think we're somewhere between 5 to 10 years away. I am constantly amazed with the innovations in science, and it is possible that it could go faster. There are still the regulatory hurdles that will need to be met to make sure that the technology is safe before they can be used in patients and definitely in babies. But I'm optimistic it's not in the distant future. So we need to be realistic. There are many challenges that still need to be solved. However, we were very fortunate to recently receive a three-year grant from the American Heart Association to study potential treatments for congenital heart disease in our bioengineered tissue. So if that project is successful, by the end of it, we may be in a position to begin translating the most promising treatments to a cohort of pediatric patients. And the environment at MCW and the CTSI was really geared towards doing that. In fact, this project started with pilot funding from the CTSI, and we are grateful for that support. But while largely in the research stages today, 3D bioprinting is important for the future of medicine 
be possible to print your own cells in the not-too-distant future. And in the near term, there will be many uses for this technology, which would include using human tissue to model and develop new drugs and treatments for personalized medicine-type approaches. Because it combines two looming revolutions that will change how we practice medicine, individualized medicine and regenerative medicine. 3D bioprinting promises to create a patient's own natural tissue on demand for surgical repair and replacement of disease and damaged tissues and organs. And the possibilities of this technology are really quite extraordinary. As has always been the case, today's research will be tomorrow's practice. Finally today, we discover a collaboration bringing science and art together to help us become informed and amazed by research. Alex Boyce is Senior Creative Consultant in the Office of Communications and Brand Strategy at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and he tells us about Project Wonder, The Art of Science. Project Wonder, The Art of Science at the Medical College of Wisconsin partners basic and translational scientists with local artists and writers to elevate and amplify their innovative, life-changing research and its impact through bold, imaginative, one-of-a-kind artistic representations. How did the project originate? Every year there are over 2,000 research papers from MCW faculty members published. 2,000 works every year is a lot, and those all further our knowledge and understanding of who we are. The challenge is really finding a way to present deep, abstract subjects in a digestible form that helps give our social media audience a glimpse of something amazing. So, the goal of Project Wonder, the art of science, is... To elevate the work of our scientists in a creative, inspiring format that speaks to a wide audience. We're still really early on in the project, but we've already reached over 1 million people nationally in our social channels. So with the Solid Foundation, we hope to build the platform to feature more artists, including some of the remarkable talent within MCW. And with so much research going on at MCW... There really is an incredible amount to pick from, which makes it a challenge as to what we can include. Many of the pieces are based on microscopic imagery, which has an inherent otherworldly beauty. I'll often then animate the image to help tell a visual story, as well as to make a small immersive loop to bring you into the world. The written component, often by Greg Calhoun, is the glue that ties all of this together. In fact, two bodies of research featured in Project Wonder, the art of science, are the ones you've heard about on today's show. Alex tells us about each, beginning with Dr. Abe Chauhan's nanoparticle research. Artist-designer Christina Awadala worked with Dr. Chauhan to visually interpret his research on nanoparticles to deliver targeted medication to only the tumor versus the entire body. So Christina's artwork portrays intricate networks within the brain inspired by maps and networking with a target visualizing where the tumor may be. This was based on Dr. Chauhan's curriculum. As an educator, he has a lot of metaphors that help the students comprehend so we tried to build a visual representation of his description. The result? Well, here's what Dr. Chauhan thinks. Oh, that was wonderful. I really liked it. You know, you can present your science in an artistic way, and you can discuss art scientifically also, right? I don't see these two are different, and I'm glad that art of science is doing a good job. When they came to me, they listened to me, and then they presented the whole thing in an artistic way, right? So that's a very good way of showing the artistic form of science. <laughs> a second collaboration focuses on the 3D bioprinting research you just discovered. They can take a cell sample and grow a small piece of heart tissue that beats in a dish for several months. When they brought that concept to us, we all wanted to see that. 
Luckily, they did have some microscopic video. So the artwork is a video of the tissue beating under a microscope with color enhancements to bring out the beautiful purple and orange hues. And because the format is a short loop, you can just watch this beautiful beating tissue that really represents a major leap in potential treatments in the future. Dr. Brandon Teft and Dr. Aoi Tomita Mitchell are equally enthusiastic about their experience. It was a very positive experience for us. We're always grateful for the opportunity to share our research and reach a broad audience. It was really easy to work with the team, and it was fun to think about our work in a way that's a little different than how we normally think about it in our day-to-day jobs. They did such a wonderful job of capturing this collaborative work. I think art is such a great way to communicate. It's just very powerful beyond words. If you want to experience Project Wonder, the art of science for yourself, we post on our social channels, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And with our newly launched landing page, you can search MCW Project Wonder. And if you're wondering, is there really art in science? Well... You can take it from a scientist. There is certainly art within science. Innovation, imagination, creativity, these are essential components of both art and science. There is art in everywhere, right? So I think it's a very good initiative. Working with a team that can catch the eye of a broader audience so that we can educate others is really an important component of what we do as scientists. Or take it from an artist. Art and science are fueled by inspiration, the deep human drive to understand ourselves and the world around us. If we make someone say, wow, what is that? Or I had no idea that was happening in our own backyard, then I think we've succeeded. And we've succeeded in wrapping up our 100th episode of CTSI Discovery Radio. As always, our sincere thanks to all of our guests for appearing on today's show. Dr. Abey Chauhan, Dr. Brandon Teft, Dr. Awi Tomita Mitchell, and Alex Boys. I hope you've discovered something by listening to today's show, and I'm doubly hopeful that you'll join us again next time. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month. Make an appointment on your calendar and join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, I'm Brian Belmer, wishing you happier, healthier days ahead. For more information about research or to listen to the podcast of this or any of our shows on demand, please visit our website at ctsi.mcw.edu. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Bellmer in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.